You're listening to Boss Tone Radio, presented by BossUS.com. Hi, Paul Hansen here. This is the 28th edition of Boss Tone Radio, and uh, I will be your host as usual. And as usual, we've got a really interesting guest. We have Bruce Bouillet on the phone from beautiful Los Angeles, California. And Bruce was one of the members, along with Paul Gilbert, of the super musician group Racer X. And Bruce has done a lot of other things in his career. He's had a very long career, and we're going to get into all that stuff. But first, let's take a listen to Bruce just doing an unaccompanied guitar solo. This is back when he was in Racer X. Hey, Bruce. So how's things been going? Oh, great. Hey, I wanted to ask you, just always wondered where you grew up. Originally born in Memphis. I noticed a bit of a southern kind of twang in your voice. Yeah, born in Memphis and um, was there for, you know, a few years. Mm-hmm. Then uh, moved to Vincennes, Indiana. Vincennes. Pretty much grew up there for the, the you know the remainder of my, my teens and early years. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a good time, actually. Back uh, growing up there, I, I must have gotten lucky or it was just a sign of the times. But, you know, when I was a kid, there must have been, I don't know, maybe uh-huh. 12 different bands in a, a town the size of 20,000 people. Just grew up, grew up around a lot of music there. Uh-huh. Did did you play gigs and stuff? Oh, t- tons. I had, uh-huh. um, I had bands through high school. Uh-huh. Um, the cover scene was thriving back then. So. Oh, um, yeah. My mom and dad, fortunately, they were understanding enough to let me play. Um, we would book maybe four or five nights a week at a club and play, you know, back then it was four sets. Yeah, I remember and that. <laughs> good times, too. I really kind of missed that after I moved away from there. But um, they would let me play till 2 in the morning sometimes on school nights. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, that was like, I couldn't ask for anything better. It was it was a really good time. I still go back and see some of my friends back there, and they're they're still playing. So it's uh, usually pretty good to go back. When you were about twenty or so, you moved to L.A. Yes. Now, um, how did you hear about G.I.T. or did you have a friend who went there or something like that? You know, it was um, around twenties when you start getting the uh, the talk of well, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> For your life, yeah. Pretty much. And uh, so I remember distinctly, I subscribed to uh, Guitar Player Magazine. Of course, yeah. And I remember sitting at the table, and I was looking down at an ad at GIT, and I'd been seeing those ads crop up. Mm-hmm. It had the whole thing, you know, send in your resume, fill out the test type thing. So that, that kind of caught my eye. I was really wanting to get to L.A. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that, and I looked into it a little more. And I was really into it. So my mom and dad, once again, were, were had my back on it and said, all right, well, that's what you want to do. Wow. We support it. 
Did you get a place in Hollywood then? Yeah, when I um, came out here with the uh, typical scenario, a uh, guitar in one hand and a <laughs> bag of clothes in the other. Yeah. <laughs> and moved right around the corner from uh, the Man's Chinese Theater. Ah, yeah. Uh, and one block away from a, 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 another guitar player, we both of us probably know real well as um, Paul Gilbert lived a block behind me. Was he on Les Palmas? I think so. I think yeah. he was, is that the one right behind me? That was right behind Orange, isn't it? I think so. So at that time, I'm trying to remember, was GIT in the old building? Yes, that was like... That was so cool. That was really, to me, one of the best, the best experiences right then and there because the old building, there was a lot of really amazing teachers just starting to crop up or who, who had just either been going there or just graduated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. You know, I just started writing down names of teachers from that period, and they're all all famous, like Norman Brown, Frank Gambali, Scott Henderson, you know, I'll, Paul Gilbert. <laughs> I mean, pretty incredible, really. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it was, uh, I, I just remember just such an amazing it thing was. to walk down those halls. Mm -hmm. um, even though they were in the old building, the halls were really really narrow. So. <laughs> yeah. I just love that old building. I remember one day there was a fire. So all the guitar players ended up on Hollywood Boulevard, like a hundred guitar players. Were you going to school or teaching at that time? Do you remember that? No, I'm not. I'm not sure if that happened prior or after uh -huh. I was there. Well, that was a weird, that was a weird thing. But the building, remember, was it P1? Is that the main performance room? Was it called? Yeah, it was the big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing, you know, Robin Ford, Steve Vai, Eric Johnson, wow, <laughs> Larry Carlton. You know, yeah. I mean, that was the funny experience for me. You got to picture me coming from Indiana. I was sort of the big gun in my neighborhood where, where I grew up, playing-wise, <laughs> by the time I had left. Uh-huh. I just remember having in the back of my mind, like, L.A., is this, there's going to be, like, so many amazing guitar players Yeah. that... You know, right off the top, I'm probably going to be, you know, inundated or, or probably just like give it up. I don't know. Uh -huh. In my very first day I land in L.A., I walk up to MI, and Paul Gilbert's given his end-of-the-year performance credit, performance <laughs> playing the first Racer X album. <laughs> and I just remember looking at the guy next to me, and I kind of bummed him, and I was like, how old is this dude up there? And they put around <laughs> like 17, and I was like, I knew it. I know. I knew it. <laughs> Yeah, the the first guy I saw in L.A., the, this friend of mine told me, hey, you got to come down to the Starwood. My my buddy George is playing. And uh, so I went down there, and it was George Lynch, and he yeah. was he was so freaking good. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, everybody down here is insane. Yeah, those were, those were some of the most exciting times yeah. for, for, for rock guitar. I was, yeah. You know? They really were. fortunate. So, Bruce, was Paul Gilbert, did he become your private instructor? Yeah, well, I had heard at the time also that he was going to start teaching uh -huh. school. So, I mean, the minute he stopped playing for his performance that day, I walked right up to the front of the stage and was like, I heard you're teaching, dude. I want you for my private teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think they gave some forms and I, you mm -hmm. know, out like to, to kind of see what your interests were. Mm -hmm. And... I made it abundantly clear that, you know, <laughs> fast picking, yeah. you know, sweeping arpeggios, 
rock sound. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Paul was my uh, private instructor, and it happened to be also that I was his last student of the day. Uh-huh. And so I generally, once we finished, I'd walk back to, toward his apartment, which was the same way as mine. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, just talk about music and stuff. So was there some things that you remember that you really learned from him as a private instructor? I mean, obviously there was a couple picking things that, that he's went on to, to kind of almost put his name on. Yeah. But I think overall it was just sort of a shock and awe of seeing, some, seeing Paul like, yeah. Being that young, that aggressive on the guitar, and really that advanced with his kind of sound. He had a particular sound that was just, you know, it was, it was pretty pushing up at the forefront. So Yeah, I remember, you know, I would do these performances, you know, orientation performances with him, and oh my God, he, he was just... Uh, he was just really good ever since I met him. <laughs> <laughs> he, had that, he had that take no prisoners approach on stage, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Here's another excerpt from Racer X. This is from the album Second Heat. Here's an excerpt from one of the most famous Racer X songs, Scarified. And this is Paul Gilbert and Bruce, as Roy Clark used to say, a pickin' and a grinnin'. <laughs> Bruce, did you practice with a metronome or drum machine back in those early GIT days? You know, a little bit. I think I, I had a metronome, and I, I did. I didn't have drum machines when I uh-huh. first moved out. Uh-huh. Um, of course, one could argue playing with Scott once I joined the band. Scott Travis. Um, pretty close to playing to a metronome. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure I did back then. I mean, that was sort of one of the things, you uh-huh. know, one of the practice regiments. I know Paul Gilbert was a million-hour-a-day practicer, just a lot of hours. Did you do that? Like like eight hours a day? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that was kind of the beauty of getting ready for when I moved out. Uh-huh. I kind of prepared to at least be able to have a year, a year without having to struggle. You know what I mean? I had yeah. enough money saved from mm-hmm. working to, um, to come out and be able to practice that much. So I'm sure I was. Did you have a schedule that you would practice, you know, like arpeggios the first hour and, you know, maybe sweep picking the second hour or vibrato or did you have a, or would you just play all day long? I think a lot of it was, was jamming and stuff like that. There was so much to see. It was hard to like narrow it down half the time, you know, Uh huh. you'd walk through the school one day and, and come back wanting to do four or five different things all right, you know, and, uh, I know. It was pretty much I jammed a lot, and uh-huh. I think a lot of it actually is really less than halfway through going to the school. I had got the gig with playing with Paul. Racer X. Uh-huh. And at that point then, it had fully switched over to, to really trying to be able to play things that he could play as uh-huh. I knew I was going to harmonize them. Right. So that, that really started kind of consuming my time then. I really started being able to kind of emulate what he did, and then... And obviously trying to throw my two cents in, too. I remember 
when Paul formed Racer X, it w- was it originally without you? Yeah. Yeah. I remember Paul telling me the name, and I thought that was so cool because I watched Speed Racer as a kid. But did you watch Speed Racer? That yeah, cartoon? I was familiar with it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a cheesy cartoon, but I think, you know, when you're really young, it uh, worked out, you know? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was funny because he kind of pulled the the obscure guy out of the the whole cartoon series was Racer X. Yeah, he was the evil, Um, like the evil, you know, race car driver. Yeah. He had a black car, you know, mystery guy. You never really saw his face, I don't think. (laughs) No, no, uh -uh. he's always always covered up, so. And and Paul's band after that, Mr. Big, Mr. Big was a character in, in Speed Racer, too. Yeah. There's a funny connection going on there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Racer X. I saw you guys at the Troubadour. Um, it was packed. I mean, just wall-to-wall people. Do you have any special memories of those Racer X days that stand out? Um, I mean, all of it All of it kind of stood out. To me, mm-hmm. it was it was just happened really quick, is all I can say. I, uh-huh. I I mean, within six months of moving to L.A., I had gotten to a band with musicians that I thought were all incredible. Yeah. And um, and at the same time, had already started playing a couple shows around town. (laughs) Then we're we're immediately up at Prairie Sun above San Francisco recording the first uh, or the second Racer X album. So Prairie Sun, is that the studio that Mike Varney would take most of his artists into? I think he had made a deal with the studio up there, and uh-huh. all of his albums and stuff went through Prairie Sun Studios. It would actually be really cool because, obviously, if you're a guitar player, he would he would get you the band to come up there. He would do a week of pre-production. Ah, then, yeah. And um, while that was going on, right next door to us, we had Tony McAlpine recording his album. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. They're listening to him, going like, "Wow, this is incredible." Then yeah. I had a similar experience as you. Then George came to play on his album, and I'm like, "Wow, oh god, this is like a mecca for guitar up here." So. I know. What I remember about Tony McAlpine is that he could sweep pick so effortlessly, and you heard every note perfect. You yeah. know, it was That's just what it sounded like coming out of the the, uh, the barn up there too when he was playing. <laughs> so um, then. You became an Ibanez endorser, as I recall, right? Yes. Yeah, that that happened. I think that's when we really got our initial boost. They actually flew us out to the Chicago NAM when, when NAM was back in Chicago, and we opened for Steve Vai and Joe Satriani. Was it the all, the whole Racer X band? Yeah. Uh-huh. And that goes back once again. It was... I had heard a little bit of Joe Satriani because of... Uh, Obviously, through Mike Varney and stuff like that, you know, it was just funny to think back now, just the amount of, of influence the guys had over yeah. the art community, and funny to think back, but it was a great time. It was really fun. Yeah, Joe Satriani's had an amazing career. I think he has a special way of just writing an instrumental song, so it's not only just amazing guitar playing, but it's just so musical. He really does have a did have a big impact on guitar. It's real listenable, you know. Oh, yeah, it, it really is. It yeah. still has all the guitar craziness and acrobatics going on, but at the same time, he really seems like he maintained the song. 
and something that you could listen to without getting bombarded 24 hours, you know, <laughs> from one end to the other. Yeah. So. Let's get back to Racer X. So Second Heat is the second is the studio album, the yeah. second one, and then you guys recorded two two live albums. Yeah. Where were they recorded? Well, they were both recorded at the same time, really. We did a Saturday-Sunday show at the uh, Country Club in Reseda, California. Oh, I love that club. It's one of the greatest clubs. It's like, oh, man. I, I always wish they had opened that back up. But. Oh, I love that club. I played there a whole bunch of times, and just the sound was great, and it was big. and uh, Yeah, it really made you feel pro playing there. I nice, know. <laughs> super nice club. <laughs> yeah. It definitely uh, it filled up on some of those nights. I know that. I'm sure you do, too. So. Oh, man. I saw Michael Schenker there, and I saw Uli Roth there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Some of the best concerts of all time. I saw Uli Roth about a, about a month ago. Oh, you did? I played this little place in Long Beach called the Blue Cafe. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, I never got more chills in my life seeing that guy like just walk into the door. Being able to walk up front row to, to Uli Roth is pretty amazing. Oh, my God. For me, at least, I was sitting there going like, wow, listen to this vibrato. He's just, you can tell the guy's played guitar for 40-plus years. I remember I met him at the Fockblot booth in uh, at the Frankfurt Music Mesa. And, he yeah. Was, yeah, I was supposed to play in this um, booth, and I wanted to get a sound check and I was kind of mad because this guy was just noodling around. Then I walked in and I was going to get really tough and, and ask him to stop. And I realized it was Uli Roth. And <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually fell to my knees. <laughs> yeah. I was a huge fan, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the guy is another guy. We're talking that, oh. you know, just contributed so much to the oh, overall yeah. guitar community. Is like. Yeah. Well, I think Ingve's whole um, Phrygian dominant kind of thing, you know, wouldn't have happened. It has diminished arpeggios and all that stuff. It was it was Uli Roth who. Um, he definitely was at the forefront of that way before many others. That's for sure. Right. Underneath me is an excerpt from Bruce's uh, album Interventions, which was is much more recent. This is uh, in the last five years or so. This song's called Scattergun. Stay tuned for the second segment. We're going to get into a lot more current stuff and find out what Bruce has been doing lately. Thanks for listening to Boston Radio and stay tuned. 